Amen. I don't know how many of you recognize the name Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe is a television personality. He's not really an actor. I don't think he would call himself that. He is best known for a show called Dirty Jobs, and uh, he's got a good sense of humor and a real deep voice. And uh, he's also known for other, I think he has other shows in production right now. Again, he's not an actor so much as he is a narrator and uh, somebody who just uh, tells you what's going on, that kind of a person. He, uh, he has right now, actually, the you've heard me talk about podcasts. We have a podcast, our church does. He has the number one short content pro- podcast in America right now. It's called, it's, called, it's called The Way I Heard It, and it's really good. If you, it's, it comes out once a week, every Tuesday. It's, it's between 7 and 10 minutes long. And uh, sometimes it's a little on the uh, shady side, but uh, usually it's all it's all good, solid, clean material, and you use your discretion there. And uh, he also has a a company named Mike Rowe Works, and uh, that is a company that tries to pair up skilled people with uh, job positions that they might not otherwise know are available. And so. Uh, he's a busy guy. He's a guy that would agree with a lot of what we believe in, in as far as our, our principles of living. So, if you didn't know who he is, now you know who he is a little bit. All that to say, just one quote, all right? I heard him interviewed the other day, and he was talking about his various projects, and particularly his, his podcast. And the person doing the interview made a statement about being grateful, just in general, being grateful. And Mike Rowe came back with this statement right here. I wrote it down. I love it. It's impossible to be unhappy if you're grateful. I pondered that for a long time. That's an amazing statement because that doesn't fit what we normally think of as happiness. We think happiness has something to do with Money and toys and playing and that kind of stuff. But he said, if you're grateful, it's impossible to be unhappy. I was pleased to hear such a prominent, successful person who may be a believer. I don't know, but he certainly, that is not his image. That is not his message for sure, if he is. But just to hear a prominent, successful person acknowledge the great importance of gratitude. The word grateful or gratitude is not found in the Bible, but the word thankful is. It's in the text that we read in Colossians 3.15. Be ye thankful. God's telling us he wants us to be grateful. People, thankfulness or gratefulness is an extremely important ingredient of a healthy mind, a healthy heart, a healthy life. Gratitude is the opposite of griping and grumbling. Thankfulness, listen very carefully. This may be where I should repeat this about 20 times so it sinks into my mind and to yours. Thankfulness is not the product of your current circumstances. Thankfulness is the product of a heart 
that is striving to be right with God. So we have the idea that on the weeks where a lot of good stuff happens to us, we can be thankful that week. But on the week where a lot of bad things happen to us, we have no responsibility to be grateful or thankful. Fact is, every week has some bad things in it. And the fact is, every week has good things in it. They may not be events. They may just be things that you enjoy every day that you take for granted. And you and I always, any given day, any given week, have reason to be thankful, to be grateful. And God commands us, he instructs us, be ye thankful. What I am encouraging this morning is not a one-time activity. Or not something that, here, give this a try this week and then next Sunday we'll talk about something else and you can forget about this. What I'm talking about today is something that it would make you stronger and healthier if this would become a part of who you are. To be grateful. To be thankful. Your ability to be thankful, no matter what is going on, will be tested nearly every day of your life. There'll be some days when your ability to be thankful will be severely tested. But the fact that God instructs us, be ye thankful, means that no matter what we might be feeling, we can be thankful. And there's a wrestling match for you. It's a wrestling match for me. I believe it is for all of us. That I just can't possibly be grateful and thankful when I'm not feeling it. But the fact is you can be grateful, you can be thankful as you grieve. You can be grateful and thankful as you weep. You can be grateful as you mourn. You can be grateful as you struggle. You can be grateful as you wait to see what God is going to do. I'll give you a positive illustration of that, that, and I'll give you a negative illustration of that. The positive illustration is the man that if I asked you who suffered the most in the Bible, you would right away think of Job. Job endured unbelievable suffering all in one day. He was a very successful businessman. As a result of that, he was a very wealthy man. And God had blessed him with a wife and ten children. All in one day, I mean one after another, the messengers started coming to Job. Say, hey. All of your businesses, your resources, your fleet, all your machinery, it all got destroyed today. Your business were, businesses were attacked and everything's leveled and you've got nothing to show for it. That messenger left and another messenger came and said, your wealth is gone. 
Your bank account is empty. Your house is in shambles. You've lost it all. And the worst of all, that messenger left and another messenger came and said, all 10 of your kids were at a, were at a party today for, the, for one of their brothers or sisters. And all 10 of your kids were killed in one horrible accident. And that messenger walks away. Now, put yourself in that man's shoes. You're trying to just digest everything you just heard. You've spent your entire life becoming the most respected, wealthy, secure, successful man anywhere around you. You have a model home life. And with just a few brief messages, messages, you find out you have nothing. Maybe we can't comprehend that if we've never had the kind of possessions that Job had. But none of us, no matter what you've suffered, and we've all suffered in some way, shape, or form in this room, no matter what you've suffered, you've never lost it all at once the way Job did. And what does Job say? The Lord gave. The Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't think we comprehend that kind of faith. It says in that very same passage that in all of this... Job sinned not with his mouth, neither charged God foolishly. Everything I had, God gave it to me. Now for some reason that I don't know, he's chosen to take it all away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. None of us will ever have it that bad. Which means all of us, all of us, can find a way with God's grace to respond the way that Job did. Let me give you the opposite of that. The children of Israel have been slaves in Egypt for a couple hundred years. They don't they don't they own nothing. They have nothing. They don't even own their own lives. They don't even control their own schedules. And God raises up a deliverer named Moses. Moses, through a series of astounding miracles, gets Pharaoh, the ruler of the world, to agree to release them from slavery and to go with Moses. We're talking, it is estimated, as many as three million people. Pharaoh agrees finally to release them. Then as soon as they're gone, Pharaoh changes his mind and sends his armies after them, the greatest army on earth. And they chase them down to the shores of the Red Sea. God miraculously parts the Red Sea. 
I mean, if you haven't heard that story, you've been sleeping your whole life. Everybody's heard that one. God miraculously parts the Red Sea and they walk through on dry ground. Well, the Egyptian army starts to follow them through that passageway. And the children of Israel get to the other side and they turn back and they say, Oh no, God opened up the Red Sea, but now they're following us. So what does God do? He crashes those waters down in on the Egyptian army. And the only one left of the Egyptians on the other shore is Pharaoh. And Pharaoh went home going, he just lost his mind. Truth is, history says that that, you know, kings like that never record their failures and their humiliations. But history says that the Pharaoh who reigned in Egypt at that point that lines up historically with with Moses, went from being a conqueror to making pottery. He went out of his mind because he watched after all of the miracles that he had seen God done and even losing his own son because of his rebellion against God. He watched his powerful army and their horses and chariots be drowned in the Red Sea. The children of Israel get to the other side. I mean, can you, do you know what they've just seen, what God has just done for them? And they're not slaves anymore, and they never have to go back. And they sing and dance and shout, and after they're done celebrating the whole Red Sea miracle, somebody goes, you know, I'm thirsty. Well, we got to drink out here. And I mean, just like a disease, it spreads through the whole congregation. Yeah, we got nothing to drink out here. I, have, I want water. Nobody brought any bottled water. Why, what are we going to drink? I, and the whole group started complaining. And that was, we could take the next 20 minutes and describe the next 18 months of the children of Israel traveling through the wilderness. God answered with water. He showed them how to take bitter water and make it sweet. And then, just a short distance later, they came across a place that had all kinds of water, sweet, fresh water for them. And every step of the journey, when they got hungry, they whined, they didn't have any food. God said, well, just ask. I have this thing prepared here called manna. It's going to be served every morning. They got sick of that. The truth is, when it came time for them to go into the land of promise, 18 months later, God would not let them go because he said, Ten times I've tested you, and you gripe and complain. So there's the opposite of Job. Job has the greatest calamity in his life, and he finds it within him to say, The Lord gave, now the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Israelites, on the other hand, have the greatest victories that the world has ever known. And they keep finding ways to gripe and complain. Listen, no matter how low you get, gratitude, thankfulness is always your first step back to health. It's your first step back to spiritual health, mental health. Emotional health, and I believe even physical health. The Bible says 
that a, a, oh boy, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. I believe even physical help. The, the Bible says the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. Infirmity means physical illness. So no matter how low you get, gratitude, thankfulness is always your first step back to spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical health. But listen, no matter how healthy you are, ingratitude is always the first step towards total failure and destruction. So let's, let's hit this, and we're, we're almost done with the message here, but I want you to listen carefully because you're going to need this someday. There's going to be some day when you feel so low that you think, I cannot possibly be grateful with what I'm feeling right now. I'm talking about so low that everything around you is darkness. You're in a cloud and you can't find your way out. Nothing seems to encourage you. You're going to get there. See, I don't feel thankful. How can I be thankful when I don't feel thankful? And all the ingredients are right there in our text. Now, I want to say that the message this morning, if you know what it means to exegete a passage of Scripture, this is not strictly an exegesis of this passage. What I'm showing you is four ingredients in the passage that we read, Colossians 3, four ingredients that are in there that work together, that fit together. And I'm going to tell you right up front what they are and then just go back and quickly expound on each of them. We're almost done. Of course, we heard a... I shouldn't say this. We, we, we were at a church last Sunday morning. We were trying to get last Sunday morning from Broken Arrow... Oklahoma to the St. Louis airport uh, before Sunday night church and still have time. Joel uh, had gone to this church on tour that he really wanted us to go to Sunday night. So we thought, crazy me, we thought if church could let out like at noon, we could make that and still get to that church. Well, we didn't even get to the airport before church time. And so, but anyway, part of it was Bless his heart. Never met the man. We just, we, it was a good church, good preacher, good message. But the man preached for an hour. And, uh, oh, man. And so he just kept going. And he kept telling us, all right, we're about to wrap it up. That wrap-up lasted about another 30 minutes. Bless his heart. God bless him. Good man. But you don't know who it is, so I can go ahead and tell that story. But anyway, so, but when I say we're about done, I'm telling you, we got, we got between five and ten minutes left before we're finished. That's not a lot, all right? Let me tell you the four things in this passage that if you want to be thankful, even when you don't feel it, and I guarantee you there's people in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been to the place where, man, I want to be grateful, I want to be thankful, but I sure I'm not feeling it. So how do you change that? How do you live in a place where you can be grateful no matter what comes crashing down in your life? Here's the four ingredients. Number one, verse 15, it says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Number one, let the peace of God control your heart. I'm going to come back and explain that in a moment. Number two, in verse 16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell richly uh, in you, richly in all wisdom. So number one, let the peace of God control your heart. Number two, let the word of God control your mind. Verse 16, 
teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Number three, let the songs of God control your mouth. And number four, verse 17, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do in the, all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Number four, let the will of God control your actions. So let me read those to you again. Now, I said, if, if you're a student of the Bible, you understand this is not a strict exegesis of the passage. It's me seeing in the passage four ingredients that fit together to help us be thankful no matter what we're feeling in our hearts. Number one, let the peace of God control your heart. Number two, let the word of God control your mind. Number three, let the songs of God control your mouth. And number four, let the will of God control your actions. I think the one we need to focus on most is that very first one. What does it mean to let the peace of God control your heart? You know what it means? It means chase the pity party out of your heart so the peace of God can be in control. By the way, how do you chase out the pity party? By reminding your heart, God is in control. God loves me. God's got me. God has not forsaken me. God is my father. There has to be, listen, do you know, we come in and from 11 o'clock on a normal Sunday, from 11 o'clock sometimes to 11.30, but often 11.15 or 11.20, we just sing God's praises. Do you know one reason we do that? So that when you need the peace of God to control your heart, you have something to reach out to. You have something. What was that we sang? When you're having a pity party, you can reach out and go, Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Chase the pity party out. Chase out that thought of nobody cares. Chase out the thought of quitting. I'm just going to give up. Chase out that thought of, I'm just going to go ahead and get lost. I'm going to get lost in a bottle. I'm going to get lost and and smoke or snort or shoot and just get lost and leave it. No, chase those thoughts out of your mind, out of your heart. Chase out the thought of, I'm such a loser. Chase out the thought of, man, everything bad always happens to me. Or nothing good ever happens to me. And you let the peace of God rule in your heart with thoughts of God is in control. God is in control. No matter what I'm feeling, God is in control. By the way, the heart is the place of your feelings, your emotions. You've got to keep that strong. You've got to keep that clear. You've got to chase the pity party out and say what the children of Israel should have said. Man, I know it doesn't look good right now, but God knows what's going on. God knows what's ahead. God knows where the fresh water is. God knows where the food is. God knows where the protection is. That's what they should have said, but they didn't. And they forfeited God's perfect will for them as a nation at that time. I said, let the peace of God control your heart. Secondly, let the word of God control your mind. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. This has to do with scripture, memory, meditation. You have got to get. And look, by the way, we're not talking about getting the word of God into your mind When the bad time comes, when the bad time comes, you need to already have it in there. 
Scripture memory is so important. And I highly recommend to you that you memorize the Bible at least by the passage, if not by the chapter, so that you can just naturally and easily roll right into it. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained good re- good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And so the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Don't think for a second, please, that I'm trying to show off to you. I am no walking Bible. But I can tell you, anytime, anywhere, when this old heart gets dark, my, my heart, Praise the Lord for teachers and parents and preachers who who moved me and pushed me and motivated me to memorize scripture when I was a teenager. Anytime, anywhere, I can go to passages in the Bible and it can flow. Let the word of God control your mind. Let the songs of God control your mouth. Can I say this? I just want to tell you this one quick illustration. I, I can't say who and it would take too long to tell the whole story anyway. But somebody in our church has a relative that they've been praying for to get close to the Lord. And they live an hour or so from here. And their relative does. And so their relative and a friend, neither, the friend is, uh, grew up in the Catholic church, not familiar at all with, with uh, you know, our, the way we do things. They went to visit a church. They were there for about 10 minutes, and it was a church that had a rock band playing. And the friend who wasn't saved turned to the relative of the person in our church and said, this isn't church. He said, now I'm not suggesting we go to the kind of church I grew up in. But if we want a real church, this isn't it. So they walked out during the rock concert. They got out and he said to her, what do they call those things? What do they call those things that real churches sing? There's a name for those songs. And she said, Oh, hymns? He said, yeah, that's it. We need to find a church that sings hymns. And they did. They found a church that sings, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still in the roses. They found a church that sings, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. And they are finding their way to the Lord. When it is something that even a lost person knew, this isn't church. I'm not here to attack that, but I'm saying this. When the cloud comes over you and you can't find your way, you can't see your way clear, Christian rock songs ain't going to help you one bit. They may be fun to tap your toe to. They may may be fun to dance to. They may be fun to listen to so that your unsaved friends don't suspect that you're listening to Christian music so you can be an undercover Christian. But they're not going to help you in a storm because there's no substance in them. But you get in the storm and let those words flow. My faith has found a resting place. Not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Last of all, let the will of God control your actions. We're, we're done here. What you do when you get in that cloud and you can't find the gratitude that you, you know. I'm, you, I know I'm supposed to be grateful, but I can't find my way out of this cloud. What you do will be very important, as important as what's in your heart and what you think and what comes out of your mouth. 
It's so sad when people hit the difficult times and their remedy is to skip church until they feel better. Now, I don't mean being sick. I'm not talking about Mary being in the hospital today. Uh, no, I'm talking about when somebody gets discouraged and their remedy is to stay out of church. That's like, you know, I can't go to the doctor until I feel better. What? I want to go to the doctor when that pain is throbbing so he can give me something. And I'm not the doctor, but listen, there's things at the, at the house of God where God's people meet and worship that you won't get anywhere else. And to quit doing the will of God because, oh, it's just been so dark and discouraging and difficult. No, the verse, the verse said in this context here, Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father. By You're not sitting home watching television in the name of the Lord Jesus. You're not finding a new hobby instead of going to church because, oh, it just brings such peace to my soul. No, it's, there's nothing spiritual about skipping church to go pursue a new hobby. You're not doing that in the name of the Lord Jesus, and you'll never convince me that you are. You may say you are, but Jesus says, don't blame that on me. I say, let the peace of God control your heart. Let the word of God control your mind. Let the songs of God control your mouth. Let the will of God control your actions. Are you grateful today? Do you have gratitude in your heart? I want to have a gratitude in my heart that can overcome the cloud, the dark cloud, that can overcome the gloom. I want, I want my gratitude to be stronger than the temptation to gripe and to complain. Let's stand together this morning.